It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Howard Cross. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. It is presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football giants. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. You can also send in your comments directly to us. Howard is big, big-time presence on social media. He's at <laughs> Howard Cross 87 You can tell the enthusiasm. I don't even need to point in his direction. I'm at Lance Meadow, one Five word, followers. last name, heavy D-O-W. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So, Howard, we have some coaching moves to discuss. One is official, okay. meaning the team just announced it earlier today. The other one is based on reports, but we'll still talk about it, and that is the defensive coordinator position. But let's start with the one that's official. Okay. Andy Bischoff, who served as the tight ends coach for the last two seasons, has left to take a similar position in addition to run game coordinator with the Chargers on Jim Harbaugh's staff. Okay. Andy worked with Greg Roman, okay. who is going to be part of that staff, because Greg Roman was the Niners offensive coordinator when Jim Harbaugh was San Francisco's head coach yep. and then Andy worked with Greg Roman in Baltimore you see you got to connect the dots you know this <laughs> from your playing days so Andy Bishop joins the Chargers staff that left a vacancy for the tight end position okay. Tim Kelly now coming in to fill that spot he was Tennessee's offensive coordinator each of the last two seasons prior to that eight seasons with the Houston Texans coincidentally he and Andy Bischoff were colleagues in Houston in 2021. So, I mean, it just goes to show you what a small world this coaching community is. But now on the offensive side of the ball, they're adding somebody that's worked with tight ends because yep. Tim Kelly did that previously. But also he has play calling experience and orchestrating offenses. So you add a little bit more experience to the coaching staff by bringing him into the mix. Yeah, it does a good job. It also helps the tight ends from a long, on a long standpoint because they'll, they'll have a better idea of like, what the pass is supposed to be, what you're really thinking when you're out there. Think, you know, that extra layer of, of thinking and, and thought process that goes into catching passes and running routes. Sometimes offenses are designed and you're looking at a defense. He's used to, quote-unquote, attacking a defense, so it'll help the tight ends a lot as they're out there. You look at his resume, as I mentioned, he's been really all across the board on the collegiate level as well as the NFL level. He coached tight ends with the Houston Texans mm -hmm. in 2017-18. Then he became the offensive coordinator, also worked with quarterbacks from 19 through 2021, 22 and 23 with Tennessee. Coincidentally, mm -hmm. they're also bringing in, according to multiple reports, the former Titans defensive coordinator. So the Giants are getting the Tennessee offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator being added to the staff, and that is Shane Bowen. Now, Bowen was one of many that was reported to interview for the position, and he, unlike a number of the other candidates, and once again, nothing official from the Giants all reported, he has previous play-calling experience. And, Howard, we were talking about this in the weeks leading up to this reported decision about, in Brian Dable's mind, was it important for him to have somebody with previous play-calling experience? And whether or not that was the big shift to go in this direction, we'll not know until Brian Dable speaks to the media, but clearly Shane Bowen carried some weight 
in that department, given the fact that he has called plays for the last three seasons under Mike Vrabel? I, I think that, you know, when you're going into this, you know, Dables, this is a big year for him. His third year at, at the Giants. He's going to be trying to get everything right and, and make sure everything's on pace. And the one thing you got to do is when you have your your, your play callers with offensive defense, you got to make sure that that person – is ready for a lot of unique situations when they come up. And when you ha- when you haven't been the play caller, if you're being elevated to play caller, then all of a sudden something comes up, you know, the coach may want to be standing by your side to make sure you know what's going to happen or what you're going to do. Sure. When, you, when, you, when you bring a guy in that's, that's previously done it, whatever level he's done it on, you kind of trust him a little bit more to get stuff done. And, I, and I'm not saying he didn't trust all the other other candidates. I'm just saying in general, that's what you're looking for. And, and it's a big, it's a big moment for him. He's got to get it right this year. Uh, uh, he's, you know, he wants to make sure that everything's going in the right direction. And you need somebody that's like not, not only is a good play caller, so to speak, but had a pretty good defense with the guys they had down there in Tennessee. Well, let's get into that because I think that's interesting. First of all, his base was Mm 3-4, so that's not going to be that big of a transition for this group given that's what Wink Martindale ran. And actually, interestingly, Howard, Shane Bowen and Wink Martindale come from the same coaching tree. Okay, They're both connected to Dean Pease. Dean Pease, who was the former Patriots offensive defensive coordinator, excuse okay. me. Okay, he has connections to both individuals because he was also the defensive coordinator in Baltimore. Okay. Wink Martindale worked with Dean Pease. Wink then replaced Dean Pease. Yep. Then Shane Bowen worked with Dean when Dean was the Tennessee defensive coordinator and succeeded him. Okay. So I think that's interesting. But here's where they differ. And I was going through the numbers the other day. Wink, as you well know, loves to blitz. Mm -hmm. It's been well documented going back to his Baltimore days. Here's where Tennessee ranked in terms of its percentage on the blitz side of things in the last three seasons. 2021, 21%, 28th in the NFL. 2022, 18%, 26th in the NFL. Last season, 22%. 23rd in the NFL. So it fluctuated from 18% to 22%. Just to give you an idea, 2022, Wink's first season with the Giants, they blitzed 40% of the time. That was number one in the NFL. Last season, it went up to 45%. It was second, though, behind the Vikings. So in terms of the aggressiveness of the scheme and the play calling, they're really on opposite ends of the spectrum from that standpoint. Well, you have to also remember that, you know, I know Winks blitzes a lot, but, you know, he could, we had a hard time, or the Giants had a hard time stopping the run. So yeah. when you're in third and short a lot, you, you start to bring extra guys to try to create, you know, negative plays. And that's, that's he did that a lot. If he had the personnel or, or what he needed to, quote, quote, get guys behind the chains constantly, it may not have been as much blitzing. But because he was always battling to keep them, you know, keep we got to hold them down, hold them down, you know, bend but not break, keep sending guys. When you get down closer to the red zone, you can send whoever you want because now the matchups are kind of easier to cover. Uh, so that's kind of what Wink does. I think in Tennessee, I don't think they've had the same kind of, you know, how would I explain it? They, they don't play against the dynamic offense. They don't play against Cowboys, you know, twice a year. They don't, they don't get a lot of those big games. So they're playing against, you know, the Colts. They're playing against Jacksonville and, and the Texans before this year. So they didn't need to blitz a lot. You know, it's just basic. You can run basic right up front defense. Most of those teams didn't have a great running game. I think Indy had a pretty decent running game, but not a great running game. Shut those guys down and play play zone in the back end, and, and you can pretty much, quote, unquote, you know, stop or slow down a team. And besides that, you had Derrick Henry running the ball. So, sure. like, yeah. it, it just made it easier to play defense because you're grinding it out, you're grinding it out, and all of a sudden the other team gets on the field. You just play base and keep – if they make one mistake, they're behind the chains. 
and that's kind of how the how the how the team played. It, it was more of a, as you guys always say, complimentary football. That's the kind of defense that you kind of need when you have a, this incredible running game. Well, and I think you bring up a great point, which is why I wouldn't necessarily say the numbers that the Tennessee defense showed mm-hmm. is just going to carry over to the Giants. Because to your point, different personnel, different division. Yeah. He may be a little bit more aggressive now that he's going up he, against some he, of those he NFC may, East he, offenses. He may need to be a little more aggressive. Correct, exactly. That, that, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, again, and, and if you had like, you know, whoever's running the ball here next, next year, if it's Saquon or whoever, Derrick Henry would just zap the air out of the ball the entire game. He was just beating guys down, and the defense was well-rested. So whatever whatever they called, they could actually run into the best of their ability because they were over there just relaxing, got their feet kicked up, having a sandwich, <laughs> ordering a drink. Okay, Henry's in the game. I hope he doesn't hurt anybody. I'm so glad I don't have to tackle that guy. Okay, Coach, what did you say, Coach? What we got? Uh, I don't know when we're going back in, guys. We're trying to stay warm. You got guys riding bikes on the sideline trying to stay warm. It was crazy. Well, Tennessee did have a top 10 run defense in each of his three seasons. Yep. But with that being said, Baltimore actually also had a top 10 run defense when Wink was the defensive coordinator. Yeah. That didn't necessarily translate. So that's well, the reason it's, why. It's personnel. Correct. Yeah, it's well, personnel. And yeah. that's what yeah. I was emphasizing, uh-huh. Howard. You took the words right out of my mouth. It just, I think people, they tend to look at the numbers and they're like, oh, look at what happened with this team. But now it's new personnel. Mm-hmm. It's a new frame of thought. It's new competition in the division. Yeah. So you have to look at it from that standpoint. The one thing that I do find interesting, if you are going to make a brief comparison between Tennessee and the Giants is, he had the big guy in the middle in Jeffrey Simmons, yep. and now he's got the big guy in the middle in Dexter Lawrence. Yep. He had the young pass rusher in Harold Landry, yep. who he developed. He's got the young pass rusher in Kayvon Thibodeau. I think that's worthy of okay. a bit of a comparison, but it stops there <laughs> because everybody else is different in terms of the linebackers, the secondary, yeah. and so forth. But at least he's got some blueprints he, he, that he worked he, with in he Tennessee. Didn't, he didn't have a Bobby Akerke down in Tennessee? No, he did not. <laughs> but, yes. but they still stopped the run. They did. Okay, yeah. there we go. No, and I think a big part of why they stopped the run is when you got a guy like Jeffrey Simmons exactly. up front. Absolutely. He's a tough guy to move. So that helps. So you can at least look at it through that lens. And also, Danico Autry was a nice pass rusher yeah. to complement the likes of Harold Landry. So, you know, he was working with some guys up front, which is what the Giants have. You could maybe argue he didn't necessarily have the guys in the secondary, though. Okay. And now here he has a young up-and-coming cornerback in Deontay Banks. Now, yep. outside of Deontay Banks, that remains to be seen. Dory Jackson is a free agent. Yep. We don't know what's going to happen with Nick McLeod and some of these other players as well. So there's a bit of a question mark. Interestingly, actually, Dory crossed paths with Shane Bowen yeah. for a few seasons. But Absolutely. Bowen was not the play caller when Adoree was on the team because no, Adoree left the Giants after 2020. Tennessee left and the Titans. Is, correct. Yep. That is when Bowen took over as the play caller. And once again, Adoree is a scheduled free agent, mm-hmm. so we have no idea whether or not they're going to cross paths once again. This wheel, it's a lot of free agents on, on, on yeah. this team, so it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But at least now the Giants have the coaching staff, for the most part, in place for them to now start game planning and looking ahead to the spring when is when you obviously implement the scheme and also will give Shane Bowen a chance to get familiar with the playmakers yeah. on and, the defensive and, side and, of the ball. Well, the thing that's different is that like back in the old days, uh, like to get off my yard moment, you could <laughs> you could come in with a new coach, kind of get his offensive uh, playbook or his defensive playbook and start going through the plays. You could just pick it up, yep. sit down and start watching some film of what they did the year before and you could do that. Now with the collective bargaining agreement, guys can't do that until it's time for them to come back in as a collective group. And it's a little harder to pick things up and you have to have you know, you have to fast track your learning and when 
you know, when you get a new coach or a new system because you don't have the, the luxury of just kind of hanging out, making this your second home, and if you're especially the young guys, to get, get that information and learn how to do things. The other thing related to what you're talking about that's important to note, when you have a new coaching staff, meaning a new yep. head coach, you get to start OTAs a week earlier. A little early, okay. yep. But just because they have a new defensive coordinator, no. the Giants don't have that luxury. No, this is not, so, a, new head, it's not a new head coach. It's so they're not going to have yeah. an extra week to get on the field and everything else that follows that. Yeah, but so that, I think that I think that's probably the biggest factor when you when you change coordinators. If if they're bringing in a new system, you don't have that extra time to try to learn it. You you kind of learn it in the regular time. You got to throw everything out that you did before. Or I have no idea. Maybe you have like little packages on your on your stool. I don't know how to how to get around it, but it, it's kind of hard to do. Well, and that's why we always talk about on this show continuity. Mm-hmm. When you keep the nucleus of the playmakers together, the coordinator, you get to at least carry over not necessarily your performance, but the familiarity factor, Howard, as you can attest to on the offensive side of the ball from your playing. Yeah, but it's like everything. Like you see it in college, you see it in pros, you see it in almost every sport. Like when you have a little success, uh, one 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 guy successful on offense, a coordinator, a defense coordinator, whatever it is. They are out the door for a little bit more money, going and trying to get a bigger job, trying sure. to get more money, and don't blame them because that's that's what, that's their right. They they should constantly try to you know do better for their family and try to set their lives up forever. So like they, they pillage and plunder every coaching staff there is. When it's like, oh, this guy's great. They even, they're even doing it to front offices now. You know, if you have great guys in your front office, next thing you know, there are like four GMs on that on that staff. They're pulling them out of there really quickly. So it's it's tough for teams to maintain a, a good group of guys because. The more success you have, the, the more those guys are flying away. Sure, but I guess the one thing that I want to bring up to highlight my point, and you're right, that's the nature of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yep. Individuals have success, they're going to move on. But I don't think it's a coincidence, Howard, when you look at the playoff landscape this season, mm-hmm. okay? Houston was the lone team with a new head coach that made the postseason, right? D'Amico Ryan. Yeah. And he obviously had an entirely it, it, new coaching staff. And he had a great quarterback. And sure. he had a, had a pretty decent offensive line. Great pass rusher on the edge. Yeah, he he, he should make the playoffs. Sure. But and, and in a weak division. 100%. But what I'm saying is they were out on an island, right? Everybody else was bringing back, for the most part, the staff and their play callers. So <laughs> that goes to show you that continuity, I think, does hold some value and yeah, substance in I'm, the I'm, NFL. You know, is I, what I'm saying. I love to argue with you. So yes, well, I'm not arguing. Yeah, no, so so I'm, I'm, I said I love no, to argue with you. Cause, yeah. So okay. yes and no kind of thing because every year, I don't, I don't care who the head coach is, who, if both coordinators stay the same, the guys get a little older every year. Some of them grow into the best player they can be and some of them are on the decline. So nobody's really the same every year in. So you, you've seen some teams that like had, had a, the nucleus of the same guys for a long time, and all of a sudden, they kind of fall off all at once. You're like, what happened? And well, they, like Philadelphia got a little yeah, bit older on yeah, defense. They got a little bit, yeah, they, they got a little bit younger on defense as well. They, sure. they started a bunch of young guys, and, and you know the coordinator did what he could. The offensive coordinator changed, but they went from running, they had the same offensive line, they had the same everything, to like running a, a more stagnant, everybody's standing in place and try to run. We, we're, we're, we're the bullies on the block. We can just run over you. No, you can't. You got to do something different every time you step up there. So, like I said, the changes are like the guys themselves mostly is was the biggest change, and can those guys learn and adapt and adapt to whatever you're teaching them right away? That's the biggest change that I think happens year in and year out. Whether you have been there for ten years or have you been there for a year, you brought up the front office. There's actually a connection with both Tim Kelly as well as Shane Bowen, Ryan Cowden 
who serves as the executive advisor to Joe Shane. He was previously the interim general manager of Tennessee mm-hmm. and worked in the front office going back to 2016. So he at least knows a little yeah. something about both of those assistants if you're looking for maybe where the connection is. And then <laughs> the other thing that I think ties in specifically Shane Bowen to Brian Dable is two things. Number one is Dean Pease, who mm-hmm. I brought up earlier because Dable was on the Patriots coaching staff when Dean Pease was on the coaching staff for three years mm-hmm. from 04 and 06. And then Mike Vrabel. Vrabel was a player when Brian Dable was on the New England staff and Bowen worked under Vrabel for several seasons. So you have that connection as well. I, I think you're reading the connections a little too deep. I think what happens is, and, and for, for you know, forgive me for, for whatever, the most qualified guy, whether they, 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 you know, they kind of know the guy a little bit and have some relationship with him like you're saying, but when that staff kind of gets obliterated and then everybody's out, then you're like, okay, well, we have a couple openings. Can we just go check on so-and-so? Because, they, you know, they, they check their defenses to see how well their defenses are playing. Oh, sure. How yeah. well they're teaching. They, they check, you know, how you know, you know how pl- certain players are playing. Like, okay, we could use some of that in, in our offense. We could use some of that on our defense. And that's how those guys come to be. If you're a guy that's like, it, man, there are some coaches that, that probably have buddies that have, like, you know, I'm the old coach. Uh, Lance, you're the young guy. You're coming up. And now you get a job, and I've been I brought you along, and they're like, hey, Lance, what's going on? Hey, Howard, you know, these young guys don't relate to like some of the, some of the older guys now. You could have some of that, but for the most part, guys are like if they know each other, they'll call first and try to get try to get those jobs. But there are coaches like popping up coming out of college. Some guy they really liked it, that they knew in college, they bring them up, try them out. It's, sure. it's strange because, like I said, all the younger coaches. Most of them are players that just just recently retired, and they've they've been in the league for a long time. They know the staff, they they've known the ownership, and they have great personalities. The, the, these are the new young coaches, the guys that have been around for a while. It's a little bit harder just to keep moving, and the, the, the hopes is that if, if a young guy that you kind of took under your wing to help him out will you know keep you in the in the coaching circuit for a while, and that's what I I, I notice mostly when I'm watching it. Well, listen, your point is well taken. I just think if you looked at the majority of the league, and I don't have the percentage breakdown in front of me, but I think a good portion of coaching staff maneuvers have Mm -hmm. some tie-in to connections and relationships, right? I mean, that's the world of business in general, Howard. I guess a little bit, yeah. I mean, case in point, we were just talking, Andy Bishop goes to the Chargers. He Mm -hmm. knows Greg Roman, right? So there's a relationship there, okay? Even... Wink Martindale. But, but Bishop who, goes to the Chargers, and he gets like a little bit of an upgrade, though, because he's named oh, sure. the coordinator. As well, a that's how they work yeah, okay, yeah. the system to the lack of a better phrase. Listen, <laughs> yeah, okay. you know that. I mean, I don't need to explain the, the ins and outs. It wasn't a lateral move. He, he's no, of course. Well, yeah, because okay. the Giants have the right to block somebody yeah. from making a lateral move. Absolutely. I mean, those are the rules across the board. So yeah. I think always is a form of enticement to get additional money. Yep. You give them an additional title, right? You see okay. coordinator get associate head coach. Okay. Right? Not just the coordinator, they're now the assistant head coach. So that changes things too. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because I think the coaching community seems humongous from afar, but it's really small when you look at everybody. It doesn't seem that that big. It's very, it's it's a huge group of nepotism. Like a lot of your family members going, anybody that you've played with before kind of goes, but you're hoping that you're going to get the right guy. A lot of these guys circulate over and over and over again. And like this is kind of the the era of the new coach coming in and some of the older guys fading out. That's what we're watching kind of as we speak. Because some of these guys that were hired this this time around were, you know, in their thirties and and forties. So that that's kind of hmm, interesting. The oldest guy that got hired, I think, was Harbaugh. So that's that's kind of telling of what was happening in the league, guys. 
for whatever reason, they want a little new, more new blood in in the situation, and it's harder to quote unquote communicate with guys when they you know they got the transfer portal. They keep moving around, and they're never wrong, so to speak. So it's harder to kind of get them to kind of like buy in and do what you want. Yeah, Harbaugh sixty, Dan Quinn's fifty three. Mm-hmm. Those were two on the older side. Yep. But yeah, Dave Canales, who was a one time play caller for the Bucks, getting the job, but. And this goes back to my point. Dan Morgan, who's the Panthers' general manager, mm-hmm. worked with Dave Canales in Seattle mm-hmm. for several years. So you see, how it's that he? connection. How old is Canales? Yeah. I can look that up. Oh, he's a young guy. I'm not disputing yeah. that. Yeah. that. No, my point was that him and the assistant general manager like, who young, was just promoted. We need young blood. That's what, the, that's what the call was. He's 42. For, yeah, so that's, that's young. That's young. We don't want him too young, but we want him young. They're, they're, they want young blood. That's all it is. Sure. Well, and I also think they want the sexiness of the play calling part of things too you know that seems to be a trend as well I mean that goes back to remember Sean McVay mm-hmm. got the Rams job right he was considered that sexy up and coming mm-hmm. play caller and hey it's worked out nicely for the Rams but now that's become more commonplace yeah. across the NFL yeah. where at that point we were just maybe getting I, to the I think Shanahan was one of those guys sure Shanahan, Shanahan applies one, yeah, yeah yep. I, I think Absolutely. You know, but uh, McDermott or whatever his name is up in Buffalo Sean McDermott yep, yep was another one but those three guys were, were kind of the catalyst for like, okay, we don't want to miss the trend. This is a new trend. The young, the young guns are play callers. So, like I said, we'll see the kid, the, the guy down in Miami, another guy, Mike McDaniel. Yeah. So yeah. You, you're looking for sure. guys that, not necessarily former players, not not necessarily like heart, you know, heart and soul coaches, but like, hey, they came up, they learned the game, they have a different look at it. You know, I call them the the Madden players. They, they got all the Madden guys in there now. <laughs> You're well, like laughing, but it's well, true. Well, it, I'm also laughing because mm-hmm. you named several guys that actually came from the same coaching staff. I know. Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel yeah. worked under Mike Shanahan. Yep. So he's groomed them <laughs> over the years. Absolutely. All right. few reminders before we open up the phone lines here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. You can check out the Giant Settle podcast. Check out your favorite podcast platform or you go to Giants.com slash podcast. As we look ahead to the 2024 season, you can take your fandom to the next level. Season ticket memberships stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships now available for the 2024 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app is Giants TV. It brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. And, and you know, and to go back to that, this is not a new phenomenon because when I was in the league, when I just got started, that new, that new young, fresh face was Belichick. And he was getting jobs. Sure. And yeah. like, he was like, okay. So he's like, okay. Well, you're really dating yourself on this program. But, that, but that's true, though. That's, he, was the yeah. young, he was the young gun that was coming out. And I remember he went to Cleveland for a few years, took them to the playoffs, basically. Did a good job for his couple of years there. Left there, and, and the Jets tried to hire him for like a day. <laughs> and then he went to New England. And, and all of a sudden, you know, kind of had a, a unique play happen. And, and Brady became his uh, quarterback. So it, it kind of worked out. It's a cycle. Yep. It's all cyclical. <laughs> When it comes to the NFL. All right, let's open up the phone lines as we move forward here. We got Jason in New Haven on BBKL. What's happening, Jason? What's going on, Jason? Hey, hey, fellas, what's going on? Nah, You're right. Much. What's on your mind? Good. good. Thanks, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just want to talk about the uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Got? Bowden? Bowden? Bowen. Shane Bowen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bowen. 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 Yep. Excuse me. Bowen. Yeah, I like to hire. Um, and there's a few reasons, you know, why I like to hire. Um, to me, in my opinion, 
always thought we needed somebody with some kind of experience, uh, not to take away from the other uh, candidates. I'm sure they all had uh, great qualifications. But uh-huh. me personally, I was looking for somebody to um, that had some kind of success calling a defense. And his name piqued my interest when his name initially came up a few weeks ago. Um, experienced DC who ran some pretty highly ranked uh, defenses for a few years in Tennessee and working for a winning organization. Now, I know Tennessee hasn't won a Super Bowl in a while, but the last few years they've always kind of been in the mix in the AFC. Maybe not the top-tier teams like KC and Buffalo, but they're usually that tier below. So I, I like that about him. Uh, second thing I like about him, uh, I believe this year his defense, which I believe is important, uh, was first in red zone percentage and first in goal-to-go percentage. Um uh, so, you know, those, those, are, those are two good things to look at. Uh, in 2021, I believe, was his best season. Uh, yeah, because they made the playoffs defense. that year. They were 12-5, and five, yeah. Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he, I believe, now I could be wrong, but from, uh, from what I read, it, he was, his defense was fourth in fewest touchdowns allowed per game, uh, fourth best in red zone percentage. I believe he was top 5% in red zone, uh, third down percentage, and sixth in total points throughout the season. I mean, those are pretty highly ranked numbers, and I like those numbers because I feel like sometimes uh, some fans look at total yardage in a defense as the end-all, be-all to judge a defense, and I don't know if that's the right way to go. Some defense play bend but don't break, but then tighten up in the red zone. So I never was a big fan of judging the defense off of total yards, but those those red zone, third down, those are the money downs, and those were your defenses hold teams to under, three points or under. So I like that he's um, called those kind of defenses. And from Lance, what you said earlier, he's learned under some pretty, you know, well-established defensive coordinators. I, remember, I think you said uh, Dean Pease. He, he yeah. worked with for a while. Uh, Jim Schwartz, of course, he was with Variable. And I believe he had some run-ins with Dick LeBeau. I may be wrong on that. Maybe you guys could. Well, I got to trace it back because he he was with Tennessee for a while, and Dick LeBeau was the defensive coordinator at one point. I don't know if he goes that far back. I can look that up and confirm that. But, yes, Dick LeBeau was the Titans' defensive coordinator Mm -hmm. at one point. Right. Yeah. But I I like that he at least has been around some of these pretty, you know, pretty good defensive coordinators in NFL history. Jim Schwartz, as we know, um, he's had good defensive DMPs. So these guys have Dick LeBeau. Um, so I like that he's kind of soaked up, even if he was just in the room with them, kind of just soaking up, um, you know, defensive strategy. No, he was not with Dick LeBeau. Dick LeBeau left oh, the year before Shane Bowen arrived in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So they did not cross okay. paths. Yeah. All right, I apologize. But but either way, uh, I like that he was with, you know, the sure. other three. And and he's a young – he's still a young guy. I believe he's under 40. Yeah, he's 37. So he has some – yep, so he has some youth to him. And uh, I, I like to hire. Uh, uh, last point, and I'll take it off the air. Um, the this is a kind of a well, this is a kind of a fun question for um, for um, oh my gosh, I'm losing my I'm losing my train. Howard for Howard is, is Howard. Howard. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness, yeah. he's Forget that Howard. memorable yeah. on this program. So yeah, <laughs> Lance, okay. Lance overshadows me. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me, Howard. Forgive me. Um, no. I wanted to ask just in your playing days. And you guys can also comment on, you know, uh, some of the points I put about the defense. But, uh, Howard, uh, just a fun question. What were some of your hardest assignments or some of the guys you found were hard to block as far as defensive ends or edge rushers? Now, I don't know if the term edge rusher was used much 
um, in your playing days, I think they were just more defensive end titles. Um, but outside of you know probably practicing with a straight hand, you know what were some of your harder assignments? blocking some of these defensive ends, and I want to thank you guys for taking my call. All right, home. Jason. Yep, you got it. Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, I enjoy the idea of the defense and, and, and you know, having an experienced play caller, even an experienced play caller that's so young, but it's, it's, you know, he'll have a lot of energy, a lot of fire. It should be fun. And as far as guys to block, you know, probably number one would be Charles Haley, uh, you know, Hall of Fame guy, great guy, great leverage could go. Reggie White would probably be up there, uh, right there with Charles uh, as a great player. Bruce Smith, another Hall of Famer guy that was – you know they they were they were tough to handle. It was a, it was hard assignment when you had to play against those guys, and then you know some of the Pittsburgh guys and, and Kevin Green, God rest his soul, another great guy that you know played against him when he was at Pittsburgh when he was with the Rams, and it was just he had great leverage, great great ability. So you played against some of those guys that are more defensive ends. Linebackers not so much. You know it was you, know, you were at bigger than the linebacker. They they were really mostly. Um, even when they're in three fours, they were they weren't really rushers on the edges. They were more of like you know to flat uh, zone, the, you know flat defenders, and and get to the sideline to keep keep guys from getting up the field to make sure you weren't running you running outs and ups on them. And, and that that was their big jobs. But for the most part, the defensive ends were like all the Hall of Fame guys we played against in that era. We had probably some of the best defensive ends, and I know these guys now are are pretty phenomenal. Uh, you, the Watts of the world, the, the, the Boses of the world, they're coming off the edge, they're low, they're, they're running fast. I get it. But when you see guys like Reggie White and Charles Haley coming off the edge, they just change, they change the way things were done. They were literally, they, they weren't running around guys, they were running over guys. So <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It just, it was, there was no way to stop them. It, it was pretty exciting. Oh, that's some class of <laughs> Hall of Famers <laughs> that you laid out there during your playing days. Tennessee red zone defense is what the caller had brought Mm -hmm. up. Just to give you an idea of where Tennessee was over the last three seasons. Fourth in 2021, 14th in 2022, and then number one this past season in 2023. So they've been pretty consistent in terms of that department. You just want to make sure they don't score. (laughs) Yeah, well, correct. I mean, that's why I look at scoring defense, Howard. I do not look at total yardage or yardage per game. Yeah, that doesn't win. It's about whether you're keeping them off the scoreboard. Keep them out of the end zone, keep them off the board as much as possible. That gives gives your team a chance to win. Yeah, because if you look at yardage-wise, Tennessee was middle of the pack for all three seasons, Mm -hmm. but they obviously were impressive in red zone defense, they were not too bad in sack totals. Numbers estimated between 39 and 45 during his three seasons. So that really is the Giants' territory yeah. during that time. And then, you know, we talked about their run defense has that, that's the been very good during his tenure as well as, you know, since Mike Vrabel really took over the team there. And I think people have to misunderstand the bend but don't break thing. I think the defense, they're trying to keep guys in front of them so they don't get beat deep down the field. So that's kind of like, oh, they're bending, they're bending. But once you get back and you can put your feet on the end zone, on the end line, then you don't have to go back any further. You can keep the guy, the guys now, you keep them in front of you, in front of them, it's right out of the end zone. Well, so it's that, also... That's, that's how it kind of, the philosophy I understand, people will keep saying it, but that's not what it means. It just means keep them in front of you and tackle them. So once you get to the end zone, like your your foot is against the line, like you're going forward. They're, they're not supposed to get get anything behind you at, at any time, any cost. Well, and also when you think about it from a generic standpoint, Howard, you should be able to have an effective red zone defense because the tight space gives yeah. the defense the advantage. 
right? Yeah. The offense doesn't have the ability to spread out when you're inside the 20-yard line anymore. Well, see, that's another misconception. Spread out means, like, you know, we think wide this way, but you mean vertically, too. So well, I'm talking the, about the, both. The vertical I mean, thing. But, but like yeah. I said, once, once you put your foot on the goal line and you stop, that's basically your back, you put your back to the line and you don't have to go any further back, there's no underneath routes. You squeeze when you squeeze the, from the line of scrimmage to the, to the DBs, and there are no underneath routes. That becomes a little harder for a quarterback to throw over the top. They have to have perfect throws over the edge. Everything has to be perfect at that point. Well, because you're also talking about very narrow passing lanes. Yep, absolutely. Is yep. what we're getting at. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. We got Donnie in Queens here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Donnie? What do you got for us? Hey guys. Um, yeah, you kind of hit on a lot of the stuff I was going to bring up mm-hmm. earlier in the uh, show in terms of the blitz percentages. Um, and I know Joe Shane had spent quite some time last offseason talking about how important it was to spend time with Wink and get to know the types of players he wanted for his scheme, and that would really help them develop their program. Well, this is the complete opposite, at least on paper, of a Wink Martindale philosophy. So was he blown smoke then, or is this just an organization that seemingly is flying by the seat of their pants? No, nah, it's not an organization that's flying by the seat of their pants. It's saying that you want to get – if you have a coordinator, you're trying to work with a guy uh, that that's with your organization, you're trying to get the kind of players that fit his scheme, that's what every organization's doing. So, like, if that guy's unhappy and leaves or what, for whatever reason is not with the team anymore, either you elevate a guy if you think that somebody within the group could be elevated or – you bring somebody in from the outside, and then at that point, you start thinking about okay, which one of these, which guys fit your quote unquote scheme? And I'm and I'm sure when you're quote unquote inter- interviewing for the job, you don't just come in and talk about your philosophy and how you want to do things. You talk about how the players on the team that exist now fit your philosophy. So it's not like it, 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 it it's not this fly by night accidental thing. Like the, the interview process is really tough because you can't come in and like. We should tear it all down, but it's not going to work because they're like, oh, well, it was great to meet you. <laughs> have, a, have a good time. I mean, grab a coffee on your way out the door. But you, you have to come in, and you're, you're not just selling yourself. You're selling the ability of the players that you've been watching. So you should know you have a working knowledge of the guys that they have and how you could make them fit and incorporate them in within right. your system. But you would, you would assume that he has minimal knowledge of those players because he can only have so much time to – Watch and prepare. He hasn't been around them. The thing, the thing, if, if they were hiring a new offensive coordinator, you had spent two years building your team around. You wanted to be a pass-heavy offense. You wouldn't then go hire an offensive coordinator two years later who wants to come in and ground and pound. And that's essentially what they just did here. That's this, not. Me, I, I think you. I think you. I think you don't understand the process, though. Howard, if you, am I allowed to finish the door? No, you don't get to talk to me like that. Listen up. Be yeah. careful. Well, like, no, be, I'm not going to be careful. You, you, have, to you're understand. Guy, you have to understand. You're the guy who does the I, I play so nobody else knows anything. No, it's not that you. It's I'm not. not it's not. That. It's not that you don't know anything. You don't. You. If you understood <laughs> the process, like he can hang up if he wants to. Yeah. If he understands the process, coaches don't just show up and say, "Hey, look, they take like these guys have scouted everybody in the league." That's what they do in the combine. That's what they do at the senior bowls. That's what they do when they're quote unquote looking for free agents. So they know what guys are on other teams and what guys are making plays on other teams. And some and believe it or not, when you're out on the street and you're about to do an interview, you do a deep dive into that team before you show up. 
Well, they're absolutely <laughs> going to ask him feedback on what he thinks of the personnel. I mean, that to me is a no-brainer when it comes to hiring a coordinator and assistant. I mean, yeah. you want to know how they envision utilizing those players. And I got and I got yeah. and I got buddies that are quote unquote that are looking for GM jobs, and they want to go in a different direction. They're, they're like, hey, I don't want to go the old scouting realm. We're going with the metrics. The, how does the ownership understand metrics when they're trying to hire a GM? Like they're, they're, these guys have done extensive research on everything before they show up because. Hey, they're not going to get the job if they don't have a great interview. Well, and also, I think it goes back to what we were talking about. Shane Bowen wasn't ultra-aggressive as a blitzer because of what he was working with in Tennessee and the dynamics of that team. That doesn't mean that he may not pick that number up now that he's with the Giants. The other thing is, I don't think the Giants have defensive personnel that strictly can play with a blitz-heavy scheme. No, they have guys that could play in a variety of different schemes. Why? Because a number of players were brought in who had no history with the Giants. I mean, Bobby Okereke played in Colts defenses that had nothing to do or resemble what Wink ran. So I wouldn't get too caught up in the numbers. It was brought up just to show you where he's coming from versus what he's inheriting, just in terms of the ultra aggressiveness of Wink versus Shane Bowen. But like any defensive play caller or an offensive play caller, you have to be able to adapt. And as far as the comment that was brought up that Joe Shane made, as you mentioned, every general manager will tell you, you have to bring in players that your coaches want to coach and want to utilize. If you're doing the opposite, that relationship is not going to last very long. Number two, Joe Shane made that comment before, and this is, I think, what you were alluding to, before things went in a different direction with mm-hmm. Wink and the team. Yeah. So you can't fault an individual when he first comes in and gets the general manager job. Of course, hey, we're going to bring in players that Wink wants. There's going to be a back and forth. How does he have a crystal ball to know what's going to happen yeah, a year but, or two but I, but I think the, the reason that, that when guys feel that way is that they think that, oh, well, this guy blitzes a lot, this guy doesn't blitz a lot, and the, and the GM says he's going to you know bring guys in to fit the blitzing packages. Blitzing is just a, a, a system that guys use. That the guys can play, you know, zone defense and do whatever sure. the same way as they blitz. You now, blitz is so. If you bring in a guy that just basically plays a lot of zone and, and can really stop the run and kind of keep guys behind the numbers, he'll do that. If he needs to blitz, he probably's going to blitz. And again, he did a lot of research on on the players that the Giants have, knowing who's going to be you, you know, what he's probably looking at. Who are you really going? Who are you going to sign? Like, are you going to sign? Yeah. Are you going to sign? And who are you going to retain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, you, well. you going to yeah. sign Jackson? Are you going to sign? Are you going to sign McKinney? Are you going to sign? You know, you you got to know. Like, okay, and who are you going to bring in? Like, bringing guys in. You bring guys in for free agency to kind of quote unquote fit and build in and fill in the spots on your team. You're drafting the best player that comes up. You're not, and I hope that's what they do. As as, as you know, every team does. The best player that comes up, you try to draft that guy, and if you have too many of that player, you make them fit in. At one time, the Giants had like eight defensive ends. They're like, we got you got too many pass rushers. You never have too many pass rushers. <laughs> that's, that, well, you don't know who's going to stay healthy. Yeah. Exactly. So it just kind of works out that way. Plus, the other thing is, I know Bowen coached this past season, but keep in mind, Tennessee did not make the playoffs. So from the time the season ended mm-hmm. to now. And once again, not official, reportedly being hired by the Giants. You know, these coaches, they go into the mode of studying the rest of the league Damn. because they have to get ready for their potential next position. So I guarantee you, by the time he got to the interview process with a few teams, he already broke down some film and got familiar every team he gets with ready, a lot of the personnel. Every, every team he gets ready to go to, he probably goes in, he looks at it, and he you goes, okay, first yeah. thing you do is like, okay, here, here are the guys who are going to be on the team next year because here's their contracts. 
Here are the guys that are possibly going to be lost to free agency. And, you know, this is where they are. This is where they're going to draft. You know those things. And then you just talk, you talk those players into your quote-unquote scheme. And also, even though those players are not under contract, you may give feedback to the general manager. Hey, I really like this player. I mm-hmm. think he'd be great for what I run. How much are you considering bringing him back? Mm-hmm. What are going to be the financial implications to that? You know, yeah. that's dialogue that yeah. happens across the league. I, I don't think that's necessarily unusual and so forth yeah. with respect to the Giants. Let's head back to the phone lines here as we move forward. And Wilson is in Roxbury here with us. Oh, here we go. I can only imagine what this yeah. is going to this, follow. This yes. fun. Hey, hey, guys. Hey, Howard. Long time to talk. Hey, hey brother. How are you doing? Well, listen, I'm usually very, like, happy and cheery, but I'm not so really? today, man. <laughs> you happy? Well, <laughs> and I tell you, and You're I happy tell you and cheery? Oh, that's a new one, yes. <laughs> right, listen, the whole room giggles. Brian Dable <laughs> and I'm Joe Shane, and here we go. Okay. You know, when, when, this, the, when the evidence is overwhelming, right, that there's mm-hmm. a problem, there's a problem, okay? This guy lost another assistant again. And the only reason that why, why Mike Casca is still with him is because the Giants wouldn't let him leave, which is moronic. Why would you want to have a guy that doesn't want to be here? Hmm. So, well, but so, you don't know if that's the reason, though. Uh, well, I mean, uh, you're, you're making that okay. assumption, Wilson, in fairness. No, no, I understand your point, but I will tell you every coach, okay, for the most part, that lost his job, the head coaches during this eight-cycle team situation, most of the ownership groups and the front offices – told the assistants, we're going to hold on to you until the new coach is hired because they may want to retain your services. And in Atlanta, Raheem Morris has kept some of the assistants because the Falcons blocked some of those assistants from interviewing. So, I mean, I would argue that happens with a lot of teams, Wilson. I would not generalize is what I'm saying. It's a lot of the contracts as well. Lance, that's what I see. When you lose like half your staff, and then, uh, and forget about you losing half the staff, right? Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but there's rumors that you got that you are that, that you are that you you are super hard to work with. Mm. You put those two and two together, and and there is merit to all the rumors. So let me okay. let me ask you a question, Wilson. Go ahead, Howard. Man. When he was like coach of the year the year before, and everybody loved him. I, what happens no, the following? No, uh, Howard, well, well, Howard, me, hold on, Howard. Didn't, you didn't let me answer okay. that. And then, sorry, and then, and then you lose the games that you won the year before because there's only like one score games. The okay. entire world's coming down, I, and I love it. I think I think I, it's I, funny. I, but, I, but Howard, but that's that's life in the NFL. Howard, everybody, everybody goes. So through. if Listen, you have man, a winning I'm season one year, I'm the following year you fire everybody. I, 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 well, Howard, listen to me, mm-hmm. I, I, and with all due respect. I, I, the reason why I'm upset is this, and let me get to my shape, my, my joshing quick, but I'm going to ask something, I'm going to tell you something, okay, you mean to tell me now, you mean, you, you tell me, John, because yesterday, right, John was saying, well, this is not a, uh, uh, somebody asked him something, John said, so it's not a one-year fix. You mean to tell me that Giants fans, again, this is another rebuilding year, again, coming up? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Well, but but Wilson, how how many times how many times have I said on this show that even if you're coming off a playoff 
victory, yes, uh, it doesn't uh, guarantee he, that you're going to have success he, the next not, year. Though. That's not the way it, it doesn't works. guarantee anything. But, 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 you're, but you're sort of alluding but, to but that, Wilson. Already, no, no, no but, but hold on. But, Wilson, you're alluding to that because the opposite of your thought process is if you're coming off a winning campaign, then it's absolutely not retweaking and rebuilding, and you're automatically going to continue success. When you know, well, if you look across the NFL, mm-hmm. there's no proof behind that. Just assumption. No, there is no proof behind it, so, Lance. But, 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 but the reason is that we Giants fans are not like all the other fans. Because we've well, been you rebuilding say that again. for 10 years. Sure. Yeah. We've so, been rebuilding for 10 years, so, so, but, 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 but I don't so, understand. Hold, hold, to me, hold, 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 go ahead, Howard, if you want to. So, yeah. so, Wilson, ahead, so, Wilson, you went you a couple of Super Bowls and you have this period of slowness where you keep changing coaches because – you know, management, maybe even ownership is a little bit like the fans. They're like, we got to have something fixed right now, right? You get yourself yeah. into a bad, bad salary cap. Uh, you bring in a new coach, a new GM, and amaz- yeah. amazingly, you guys make it to the playoffs with a bunch of really fan- fantastic one-score wins, very exciting season. The following season, okay. I'm like, if you don't win those same games, right. you're going to have a losing season. So th- oh. they, they, those five games okay. they, that they were one one score games the year before, right. they won. They lost them this year, and now okay. I'm okay. listening to everyone with with everybody on the okay. field injured. I'm listening to everyone, not everyone, you Wilson. Okay. I'm listening to you tell me everything's breaking down around them. The house is on fire. Everybody run. I don't. I think that it's not like that. And I'm not defending well, the Giants I, I, at all. Okay. I'm just saying in general what you're watching. Okay. I'm not, it's not like that. Okay. And I'm Joe Shane. I'm a, I. The day gentlemen blaming and the excuses are over. 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 No more they gentlemen left me a mess. No more they When did he even me. say that though? Will Wilson, when did because Joe Shane even say, say that though? To, uh, <laughs> because, because fans fans read between the lines, uh uh Land. No, but, but, no, but, but I'm, I'm talking about when when did he get in front of a podium in a press conference and say, oh, right, my so, God, I inherited so he has, a horrendous so he salary cap so, situation. Uh, oh, he, this he is terrible. Lance, yeah. Lance, Lance, on a numerous occasion, he has said, well, we, we, we have more flexibility now that we Okay, well, but, but that's a fact, has, though. That, those are financial that. facts, though. That's not saying, oh, okay. I'm saying this now so that you uh, give me a leeway of three to four years. You, Wilson, you love to read into a lot of things. And we're okay. not, Howard and I are not painting a picture of lollipops and rainbows here. No, but but you, you apply a lot one of fans thing. Do, though. Okay, okay. Well, well I, Wilson, Can I can't, I keep, Wilson, I can't keep track of every individual that you interact no, no, with outside no. of this show and the conspiracy no. theories that you pile up, okay? Uh, We're only I, talking about it through our lens and our relax, perspective. Relax, easy, can, I ask, can I ask oh, you I'm guys fine. something? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes. Facts. Yeah. Facts. How many, how many first-year coach, uh, general managers have the luxury, the luxury of having two top ten picks, not two first-round picks, Two top ten picks. How many? Well, I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head. Okay, NFL it's, history. It's, yeah. it's rare, right? It doesn't happen. All, I would say right? it's probably Can we agree rare. On sure. that? Yeah. Okay. All right. And if you do your job the right way, mm. if you do your job, okay, you can change your franchise overnight. Well, I don't know about that. See, that's where I disagree. Wait, wait, wait. With you. Just let yeah. him. I want. Well, I want okay. him to finish. Okay. I want well, to finish. Because, oh, go ahead. No, I, I want you to finish. You know what he did? I, I He'll know go on for ten hours if we don't let him continue. Yes. No, no, no. I want to ask Howard this. Howard, I know you like Evan Neal. To me, he's a bust. Okay. He cannot play in this league. To me, that's my opinion. And obviously, you know more because you play. I'm just for what I see, for mm-hmm. what I see. And okay. Kevin Thibodeau, to me, mm-hmm. is the most overrated player in the NFL. 12 sacks, To me. Right? 
12? How many sacks? Well, 11 and a half. Well, Evan Neal, is somebody, if somebody said to you, is this, Evan this, Neal a good player? Are you going to say that he's a good player? I'm saying that he's been injured his entire time. Well, okay, I understand how he's injured, but I mean <laughs> – so what? So were you going to give him five years to see how good nah, he is because think, he's injured every year? I don't think they're going to give him five years. And and for your right, then, and then, this is then, this I'll, this I'll answer you just so you so everybody sure. everybody can hear. Okay. Um, I'm I'm just going to name some teams for you: Jacksonville, okay. winning record. No, Washington uh, winning record. No, no. Uh, who else? Uh, what is, what uh, is that? I, I'm, see what I'm doing is I'm I'm letting you tell me about how these how these teams are doing so well. I'm just asking. Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm going to keep you, naming teams to you. Fair, it, no, that's it is fair because what you just because said I'm that you a, can I'm change. You said that you can change the trajectory of a team in two years. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I can keep going. I can name a bunch oh, of no, teams. No, but I, the okay, Raiders. I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you something <laughs> to counteract that. Okay. There is no counteracting. San Francisco Forty Niners. They haven't had a first round pick in a hundred years. I don't mm. think they even have a second round pick. They've done a great okay. job drafting. Yeah, they have. They've done a really well, good all job. All right, then. Be, be coaching, good coaching, and good general manager. Okay. Yeah. The, the Rams. The Rams sold their soul yes, to win they a did. To, 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 to win a, a Super Bowl. They did win a Super Bowl. They had one down year, and boom, right back to the playoffs again. Why? Great head coach and a great yeah, but, but, that, but that's a common element, Wilson. And, and listen, we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate it. <laughs> I would say that is a principle across the NFL landscape. You have to draft well. You have to develop. Some, te- some teams draft really well every yeah. year. And, so they, and they, have these... a, they have a good, you know, I think I think Baltimore does a good job drafting a lot of I time. Agree. I think sure. Pittsburgh does a decent job. They just haven't gotten a quarterback for for a while. I think uh, San Francisco's done an okay job. They got lucky. Well, I, I was just going to, I mean, I was talking about this actually <laughs> on my Serious XM show. First yeah. of all. San Francisco's well, got extremely lucky. They trade away their souls. Uh, for Trey Lance, for Trey Lance. And who was a first round pick, by the way, and, and now he's not on their team, so they're going to have yeah. to like make up some ground. And you know, if they don't win it this year, then that's going to always go back to the Trey Lance trade. Well, but they got Brock Purdy in the seventh round to help make up for that. <laughs> that's the point, Howard. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. sometimes if you screw up in the first round, mm-hmm. then you got to get quality elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, case in point, I mean, you could go back to <laughs> 2015. And it's not that I dislike Brock Purdy, by the way. It's just like I'm like, okay. Well, I, listen, I'm not telling you Brock Purdy is a Hall of Famer. What I'm saying is. He's running the system. He's thriving. It's mm-hmm. good coaching, and mm-hmm. to get that out of a seventh round pick is pretty impressive. You remember the so, year? Do you remember the year yeah. that Brady got hurt? He was like all world. He got hurt. Matt Castle. Well, Matt Castle came in, and who's, he did well as well. Who's he throwing the ball to? Who was Castle throwing the ball to? Yeah. Well, he had all that talent that Brady had in 07. Oh yeah. So I could throw the ball to those guys. It wouldn't matter. That's well, the point. But you still, the quarterback <laughs> has to make the throw and make good decisions, Howard. I mean, I'm not, I mean, you got to give Purdy some credit. I mean, I'm what, not. I'm not saying Purdy's not not decent. He's not doing a good job. Well, I'm I just. Don't know. I'm just laughing. I'm just How? laughing at the fact that if there are is if, if there's a tremendous amount of talent around you and you're a bad quarterback, you're a bad quarterback. If there's a tremendous amount of talent around you and you just got a little. Just a little bit of competency, you should be okay. Okay. Well, but what I'm saying is, is that that's can't be taken for granted for everybody in the NFL. And Purdy ran a lot against the Lions. He did. Drive. He, so he, you know you got to know they when played, to take they off. They played man to man a lot. There's when you look so up you and everybody. Read the defense everybody's then. got their back to you. You're, not, you're reading the numbers on the. You're reading the names on the jerseys. You know you can follow that. 
Okay. Well, you know, not everybody can, though. If everybody could, then how would there be a lot of more competent quarterbacks in the NFL, I would yeah, argue. I just so it, okay. I don't know. I, I just don't understand the, the common narrative of bringing Brock Purdy down and not trying I'm to not get bring, credit. I'm, just, not, no, I'm not accusing. I'm, I'm not. Everybody I said, across I'm, the board I'm very excited. trying to do that. I'm very happy for a guy that's in the seventh round and gets to a good team. And he's, he's letting everybody know if you got a great team around you, you can bring a quarterback in. That's not highly touted or, or as we would call a five-star athlete. So if you bring a guy in that's, got, that's competent and just won't turn the ball over, you, you'll have some success. Holy smokes, didn't the Giants do that for a couple of games? He brought a guy in undrafted and he played a couple of games. Well, the environment matters is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, listen, just, I'm completely with you, Howard. That happens. I'm not disputing. It just happens that way. But it just, it's got to <laughs> click, though. And, and, and there has to be that – common element in play between the quarterback and the personnel groupings. We have seen sometimes where quarterbacks do have a lot of talent and it doesn't come to fruition, right? I mean, if it did, then once again, quarterbacks would hold on to their jobs more often than not. But what I wanted to get to was, mm -hmm. this is the Niners draft, which goes to what the last caller was talking about. Mm -hmm. Eric Armstead, they drafted in 2015, first round pick, defensive lineman. Mm -hmm. He is still a big staple, right? Yeah. Following year, they drafted DeForest Buckner. He's not even on the team anymore. They had to no. trade into Indy because they couldn't pay both him and Armstead, mm -hmm. okay? Now, most teams who have to give up a first-round pick, you would think would be in a precarious spot. That was not the case. Then you go to 2017. They drafted George Kittle in the fifth round. Mm -hmm. Pretty good selection. So I've gone three straight years. They've gone in playmakers. 2018, they drafted Mike McGlinchey in the first round. Mm -hmm. He's not on the team anymore. He's on Denver. Their right tackle. Fred Warner was a third-round pick, linebacker. And DJ Reed, who went to the Jets, was their fifth-round pick in 2018 at cornerback. Mm -hmm. That's another year where they found multiple playmakers. 2019, Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel, Dre Greenlaw were in the same draft class. Mm -hmm. All still on the team. All still big playmakers. Brandon Ayuk they took with mm -hmm. one of their two first-round picks in 2020. And then the year that they took Trey Lance in 2021... They still were able to get Aaron Banks, who's one of their starting interior offensive linemen in the mm -hmm. second round. Mm -hmm. 2022, they get Brock Purdy. And I'm not even going to go through the last year because, once again, the sample size is so small. But I just read you every draft from 15 to 22 where they walked away with at least one player who helped change the trajectory of the franchise. I would say you do that, you're probably going to be in the Niners position. Yeah, and but... important, critical positions, by the way, too. Well, you know, let you know, let you have to look at it for the, the its entirety. I, I know what you're saying. So in twenty seventeen, who was winning the West back then? Twenty seventeen where you started that? Like who Well twenty fifteen I started. Twenty fifteen, who yeah. whoever's winning the NFC West back then, you have to like build they were building themselves back up. They were coming out of the hole. So that's it's kinda like every year you gotta have like if you have six draft picks or seven draft picks, you wanna hit on you'd like to hit on all seven of them. But if you have like three or four of your guys, half of that half of that class that can compete, you'll have them for four years, True. maybe five years. Pretty good return rate. Yeah. So you yeah. You, you you try if you can do that for five years straight, you got you you got more than half of your team just about set up. So that's what you're that's what you're hoping for uh, every year you draft. And it's just not, you know, the world's different. Like I, I don't know how to explain it other than you know, guys play hard. I think a lot of guys come out of college and they really want to play. You got a lot of guys come out of college really want to make a lot of money. And the guys that want to make a lot of money, sometimes their play doesn't stick with the money. Sometimes their play only lasts until they get that first big payday, or I, I don't know. But it just some guys want to do it, some guys don't. By the way, Kansas City mm -hmm. is playing San Francisco. Mirror image of the Niners yeah. in terms of the draft history. Chris Jones was their second-round pick in 2016. 
They move up to grab Patrick Mahomes in mm-hmm. 2017. They also drafted Kareem Hunt that year. Yep. Okay, and he parted ways because of off-the-field issues, but mm-hmm. he was a talented player. Then, okay, 2018 was a relatively quiet draft for them. 2019, McCole Hardman they took in the second round. I know he left to go to the Jets, but has come back. But his first stint, okay. he was a good special teamer, playmaker. Then you go to 2020, Willie Gay at linebacker. They had Clyde edwards Lair. Prior to that, Lejarius Sneed, who's one of the best safeties in the NFL, was a fourth-round pick mm-hmm. for the Chiefs. They took Nick Bolton, the linebacker, in the second round. Creed Humphrey, their starting center, in the second round. Trey Smith, who's also a starting offensive lineman, was taken in the sixth round that year. So they got three players. In 2020. 2021. Yeah, so you skip. Your, so basically, every other year they have a decent draft, is what you're well, saying. Well, 2020, Willie Gay and mm-hmm. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, and Lejarius Sneed. So, I mean, Edwards Elaire, I know, has been in and out of the lineup mm-hmm. with injuries, but two of the three mm-hmm. are staples on defense mm-hmm. for them. And then you look at 2022, Trent McDuffie is a key corner. They took George Karlaftis, the pass rusher, also mm-hmm. in the first round. Mm-hmm. Sky Moore in the second round. Okay, he maybe has a pan down. And Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round. So mm-hmm. three of those four names that I mentioned are yeah. key contributors. Yeah. But we're talking about an annual basis, Howard. It's no coincidence that both of these teams are meeting in the Super Bowl. Well, the, That's the, my point. The Giants' last two years, their last two drafts was Shane. A lot of their guys have been playing and starting the entire Absolutely. time. Okay, so yeah. okay, so we're, they're heading in the right direction. Well, and that's my, but <laughs> that's, that was that was more of the response point. to yeah. the last caller. Yeah, okay. is the fact that every team strives to do that. Yeah, and you have I, to I be it. able to get a return. There's been a lot. The there's been a lot of talk of, of of like like who when you win a lot, teams start to hate you. When you lose a lot, teams start to like. I'm like I, I don't I don't really get it. Like if you're a fan, just be a fan and enjoy it. But you can't tell fans how to feel. So that's how I laugh. I got but I like a lot of buddies who are Jets fans. Are like, yeah, man, I wasn't around the last time you won the championship. I, said, I was two. So what do you want me to say? Like it, it's, it's going to happen. So I don't know. You know, and, and the Jets have an incredible defense, and they have incredible everything. They don't have a quarterback. And they had a quarterback who got hurt in four, the game, four plays into the first game. So I'm like, or I'm like, okay, that's kind of what you're going to have to expect, guys. That's, that's basically what's going to be. Well, but the Jets also had some nice weapons around the quarterback, right. and the quarterback didn't click, right? Incompetent. So maybe that's why Brock Purdy deserves just a, a little bit yeah, more yeah, credit hey, here. Look, I'm not, okay, I, just look, a little bit more credit. Look, it didn't work in, for the Jets when he changed the quarterback. So. Incompetent. He's just, yeah. inc- they, they're, they're, you know, poor, poor Wilson is incompetent. Feel, feel bad for the kid. <laughs> well, on uh, Jets kickoff live, I'm sure that'll yeah. be a big topic of discussion. Be, we'll I can't believe Cross said that about him. Yes. Well, no. We're weighing in on the entire league on today's program. We've, so we've been hitting on everybody. Allowed. We've been picking on everybody. We, we've been picking on We're equal opportunities. How about that? <laughs> we'll leave it at that from that standpoint. All right. That is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition, Big Blue Kickoff Live. We will be back up and running again on Wednesday as we will continue to break down the additions to the coaching staff and the dynamics in play here as the Giants get ready to tackle the offseason. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Howard Cross, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Wednesday right here on BBKL. Have a good one.